Adventure Sports Podcast, episode 350. Snorkel is back on to talk through hiking and her new book, Long Trails, Mastering the Art of the Thru-Hike. The reason I created this book is because it didn't feel like there were a lot of books out there that were designed for the person who just learns that the PCT exists or the Colorado Trail exists or the AT exists. So this is meant to be a dream to execution kind of book. Uh, all, all of those little tiny questions that you don't even realize that you need to ask or think about, those are all in there to kind of walk someone through step by step. How do you go from just thinking about long distance hiking to actually going out and doing it? You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180 Tech. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. This episode is brought to you in part by Bissell Bark Bath, the easier way to bathe your dog indoors. For more information, go to Bissell slash Adventure Sports and be sure to use the coupon code Adventure Sports when you get a bark bath for your dog. Hey friends, Kurt here. Man, I have Liz Thomas with us again today. And Liz has been on the show a couple of times, but it's been a long time since she was on the show. Liz is the through hiking queen. That's what I like to call her. She uh, held the self-support... Appalachian Trail female record for the fastest time for a long time. She's also done the Triple Crown, which means she's hiked not only the Appalachian Trail, but also the Continental Divide Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. But those are only three of the trails that she's done out of more than 20 long through hikes. And Liz used all the knowledge that she gained to start helping other people get out there to do these trails. So she wrote a book, uh, the Best Hikes on the Continental Divide Trail, which is out there. It's a, it's a great little book that shows you sections of the CDT that are really worth doing. And she did a class on Adventure University, which has recently been updated for 2018. So if you want to learn more about through hiking and how to do it, you can go to Adventure University. And that was sponsored also by Backpacker, I believe. But today we're here to talk about through hiking again but it's because Liz recently finished, man, the biggest work yet. It's called Long Trails, Mastering the Art of the Thru-Hike by Liz Thomas and Backpacker, uh, published by Falcon. And I have a copy of the book in my hand. Liz, this is amazing. Welcome to the program, and thank you again for helping others get out there. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Kurt. Well, I'm excited about it. I think we have to have you on at least once a year just so you can help people kind of get in the groove for what through hiking is and how to do it. And this book is, uh, man, so we've got over 300 pages. I'm just going to try to give a brief description of it. 300 pages. It's heavy. It has beautiful pictures, and it has just about everything you would want to know about how to do a through hike. So for the listeners who have been thinking, you know, I'd like to try through hiking, but I feel overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. They start by getting this book. That's what they do. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah, the, part of the, the reason I created this book is because it didn't feel like there were a lot of books out there that were designed for the person who just learns that the PCT exists or the Colorado right. Trail exists or the AT exists. So this is meant to be a dream to execution kind of book. Uh, all, all of those little tiny questions that you don't even realize that you need to ask or think about, those are all in there to kind of walk someone through step by step. How do you go from just thinking about long-distance hiking to actually going out and doing it. Nice. Very, very cool. And I love that because 
the Adventure Sports Podcast is all about trying to get people out there to try stuff for the first time. And so the book is perfect for that. But let's come back to the book in a little bit. Let's talk about Liz and let's talk about through hiking a little bit before we go back and talk about the book more. So who is Liz Thomas? Uh, Liz Snorkel Thomas is my trail name goes. Uh, it's actually kind of weird not being introduced with my trail name. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just said snorkel. Everyone would know. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a long distance hiker. Uh, I'm just someone who really liked hiking and, and kind of on a whim decided to start doing longer and bigger things and discovered along the way uh, some signs for the PCT and said, huh, I could go to Mexico from here or I could go to Canada from here and uh, started doing some research. And next thing I know, I've got more than 16,000 miles under my feet. I've been doing a long hike at least once every year for the past 10 years. So it's kind of become a, a really big portion of my life and uh, trying to inspire other people to get out there and hike has uh, become a big passion, a big big part of my life right now. Well, I love it when I find someone who finds a, an adventure sport that they love and they can incorporate that into their life to make what I call an adventure-focused lifestyle. And you have found ways to do that with your books, with your classes, with uh, all the contributions you make to the through-hiking tribe or world. I don't know how you want to say that. You are also the vice president of the American Long Distance Hiking Association. That is correct. So what is the American Long Distance Hiking Association? So our mission is to promote fellowship uh, among long-distance hikers, however a person wants to define themselves a long-distance hiker and those who support it, and also to promote education and uh, and responsible use of, of the trails by long-distance hikers. Let's go back to how you make all this work out. All right. So you are spending a lot of time on the trail. How do you pull that off? Most people don't have that kind of time. Yeah, you know, when I first started out, I kind of thought it was going to be a one-and-done you know, I saved up money. I, I had just finished school and, and it, it was a sort of thing I was going to go on the trip of a lifetime. And I, I just loved it so much that it became this thing at the back of my mind that, that everything I did, I wanted to center around getting out more. Um, and I think a lot of long distance hikers talk about how it's this transformative experience where, you know, my job, my home life, everything is kind of focused around getting out for long distance hiking. Um, so, how I work, get it to work right now, uh, for many years, I, I've worked as an independent contractor, environmental consulting, um, which so I could kind of figure out when I was going to go out. And the, the backpacker class also was a way that I could get other people out while also providing a little bit of income for my trips. Uh, but most recently, I work on the outdoors team of the Wirecutter, which is the product review site for the New York Times. And um, it that job is being a gear reviewer has been a really great way to get out and uh <laughs> spend time on the trails while also working. Nice. Well, I like it when people can figure out an angle that allows them to have the lifestyle that they want. And it's so inspirational to the rest of us. And uh, so thanks for sharing, you know, how you're making your way through all of that. Where are you residing these days? You spend a lot of time in Colorado, but I understand you're in Southern California now. I am. Uh, my boyfriend got a job out here. And, uh, you know, part part of the things that makes our relationship work is that he knows that I'm going to go and hike for months at a time. So uh, he, he gets to decide where we live. I get to go hike. <laughs> nice. Very cool. So let's talk about the inspiration for this book a little bit. Long Trails, Mastering the Art of Thru-Hiking. How did this book go from 
concept to reality? Yes. So a few years ago, um, I was reached out to by Rachel Zurer, who was an editor at Backpacker, about putting together um, an online class, a six-week online class about thru-hiking. Um, and we spent, she spent a lot of time helping me organize and think about the ideas and really present it to someone who is just learning what through hiking is and thinks they want to do it. So, um, that was really successful. I would suggest everyone take a look at that class. Um, but it became really clear that for a lot of people, an online class might not be the best way to, uh, access this information. So the idea behind the backpacker long trails book was to take some of the core material from the class and put it into a paper copy that someone could read while they were on a plane on the way to a trailhead. I would not suggest this. Um, <laughs> or, you know, have as a coffee table book, uh, look at over breakfast um, while they're on their, before going to work, um, a, a job that they'd like to leave to go for a through hike. So to create that sort of inspiration that comes from a, a paper book. So that, that was kind of the idea behind this long trails book. Yeah, I get it. You know what? It's the keep the dream alive book. That's what it is. You put it on your breakfast table, like you were saying, and then every day you can look at these amazing pictures and you can read another section and it's like, oh, yeah, I got to do that. And, and, hey, I can't wait to do this. And I think that sometimes people need that kind of, oh, periodical encouragement to make the dreams come alive. Yeah, I can't take credit for it, but the uh, the designer and the layout did a great job of taking all my words and putting them into bite-sized chunks with some really great inspirational photos. So it's really the sort of thing that you can take your 10 minutes over coffee break or whatever, look through and be like, oh, that this is enough to power me through the rest of the day and get excited about hiking. Yeah, absolutely. So Liz, it's easy to assume that everybody knows what we're talking about because you and I have been talking about this for a long time, but... The Adventure Sports Podcast has grown a lot. We have a lot of new listeners out there, people that maybe are hearing from you right now about thru-hiking for the very first time. So what is thru-hiking? You know, I would say that for the longest time, thru-hiking meant a long backpacking trip, uh, something like the Appalachian Trail, which goes from Georgia to Maine, where you're going to be carrying your backpack and hiking every day for months and months. Or something like the Pacific Crest Trail or the Continental Divide Trail, which go from Mexico to Canada. And um, just this great adventure of being on a trail, being immersed in nature for that long. Um, now I would say, uh, I've kind of changed my definition in my mind to say that a thru-hike can be a backpacking trip that's, um, it, it's, it's more of a, a mental way of thinking about going on a trip. So it's, it's the idea of really immersing yourself, uh, of spending most of your day walking um, instead of doing traditional camping things. Um, and it's about being on a trip where it's long enough that, uh, that there's a little bit of resupply involved. You can't really carry all of the food or water you need for the whole trip that you need to you know, go to a store, have someone bring you some food. Um, so, so it's kind of this, uh, this, this adventure where, where it's, it has a, this epic proportion of, um, being out there for that long. Mm, so how long is long enough, do you think? Yeah, I, I think for different people, different lengths are going to be able to get you to this sort of mental state or lifestyle where, where you really feel immersed out there. Um, you know, for some people, they say they need to be out for two weeks to get that feeling, and some people can get it over four days. So, um, you know, through hiking in some ways is kind of a mental state, which is a little more philosophical than I wanted to get, but uh, it's an interesting question. Well, it really is interesting because if you spend enough time out in the wilderness and uh, you start getting that routine going, then it changes the rhythm, you know? Yes. 
you kind of hit the rhythm of the trail or the rhythm of nature instead of the rhythm of the busy every day that we're so accustomed to. Yes, definitely. It's a, an amazing experience to have. I have to tell you, you were part of the inspiration behind a trip that my sons and I took uh, summer before last. And it was only nine days, but it was one of the best nine days of hiking that I've ever had. And we had such a wonderful time. And part of that was because of your telling the stories about through hiking and how wonderful it was. And I said, man, we just have to do this. Yeah. And it was uh, just such a, a beautiful experience. We did a podcast about it where we touched on a couple of the highlights. But we did a through hike of the Holy Cross Wilderness area. And where we were going, there were no connecting trails. So mm-hmm. that meant we had to cautiously and nicely hike off trail for days to get through the wilderness area. But it was so amazing, Liz, to be out there in such a beautiful wilderness and to kind of fall into that rhythm. Do you miss that when you're not on the trail? I, I certainly do. And, uh, you know, the big solution for me has been trying to make sure that I go on day hikes, that I stay active and, uh, that I'm always planning my next trip. That helps a little bit. Well, speaking of the next trip, you've done more than 20. Will you name some of the other trails that people may not think about when they think about long trails? Sure. So this past summer, I hiked the Pacific Northwest Trail, uh, which is 1,200 miles from Glacier National Park in Montana to Olympic National Park on the Pacific Ocean, um, which was a really great trail. Uh, I've done a series of urban hikes, which I've been on the podcast to talk about, um, which are 200 miles or so, all within one city's limits. Um, Some of the hikes have been shorter than that, but um, it's been kind of a a different way of thinking about going on a long, long hike. say some other good hikes, the Long Trail, uh, which is the length of Vermont, um, or the Benton Mackay Trail, which is near the Appalachian Trail, but has kind of a more wild feel in some ways. Um, Of course, the Colorado Trail, uh, John Muir Trail. um, Yeah, there's so many good ones out there. I think a lot of people think that if they're through hiking, they have to do a very long trail. And there's a lot of really great 200, 300 150 milers out there that that really get you feeling that feeling of being in the rhythm uh, that I really encourage people to look into. Are the shorter trails as busy as the big three or busier? How would you rank that? Yeah, I would say it really depends on the trail. Yeah, some of the trails are still a little bit off the beaten path as far as the shorter trails go. Um, And really with any of these trails, uh, if you start a little bit off peak season, um, or if you go in the opposite direction that most people do, you end up, it ends up being a lot wilder than um, you might think in some cases. Liz, I think it's really common for people when they first start backpacking to carry way more than they need. Their packs are usually too heavy. And you mentioned wanting to lighten your pack after that Tahoe trip. But there are other people that go so extremely ultralight, it might even be to the point of dangerous, not sure. What do you think the happy medium might be? Yeah, you know, so much about gear choices have to do with uh, where you're going, your level of experience, your physical fitness level, you know. You know, there's definitely a happy medium that that needs to be, that, that hikers need to think a little bit about. And uh, that's one of the reasons why in the book I have five different hikers with their complete different gear lists. Everyone has different stuff. There's photos of all their stuff. They explain why they carry what they do. And so what's really interesting is everyone has more or less the same categories, 
but how everyone tackles their problems is a little bit different. So one person's a little bit colder, the other um, carries this sort of thing, or one person doesn't want to spend as much money as, as everyone else. So uses uh, army surplus store stuff. So, uh, you know, there's so many uh, balls to juggle with getting your gear, but um, I think that's also part of the fun and the challenge of through hiking. It is fun. And the more you do it, the more you kind of hone in on exactly what you like to take. And people that have been listening to the show for a while know that I won't go backpacking without a bandana. It's like my favorite yeah. piece of gear that I take. But what would be the one thing that you would say, yeah, everyone should probably consider this item and maybe something off the, the obvious list? Well, so it's kind of a luxury item. It's not, it's not required, but I really love my umbrella. I have a little five and a half ounce Montbell umbrella, and it's great for the sun. It's great for the rain. It's great for the wind. It's great for the snow. Um, I I just love carrying it. And yes, I could just suck it up and just walk around in the rain in my rain gear. But there's something about having that umbrella that uh, it, it just makes my morale so much higher when the weather's not great. You know, when I uh, have my bandana on, I put it under a cap and it becomes sunscreen and, and bug protectant and everything else. But I do get kind of hot because then I'm not getting any breeze. But with the umbrella, I would still get the breeze. Yeah. And who would have thunk an umbrella on a through hike? Yeah. But it makes sense. It really does. When I first started through hiking, there was one guy with an umbrella and ev- all the other people around him made fun of him. And, uh, I, you know, I looked at him and said, hmm, maybe he's figured out something that I haven't figured out. And uh, that was on the Appalachian Trail, and people were using it mostly for the rain. And then when I went out to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, lots of people were using it for the sun. And uh, I remember the when I was in Oregon, it was a rainy day, and I saw some hikers using their umbrella in the rain. I was like, oh, yeah, umbrellas can be used in the rain, too. It's like I had completely <laughs> forgotten that's what umbrellas were originally for. Yeah, I totally get that. Well, if someone wanted to do a shorter shakedown hike, you know, one of the trails that's not thousands of miles, but maybe just a hundred or two, do you have a recommendation for someone, uh, for a first timer? Yeah. I mean, the Tahoe Rim Trail, I did not realize it at the time, but it is such a great trail for a first timer. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a loop hike. So you're walking back to your car, so, you know, none of the crazy shuttle logistics. Um, the permits are relatively easy to get. Uh, there's not a uh, I would say there's too many road crossings, but there's enough of them that if you ran out of food or your gear fell apart or you got injured, it'd be it'd be relatively easy compared to some other trails to get the help that you need. Uh, and it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I imagine. I've heard of the big three that the Continental Divide Trail is kind of in a class all its own. It's the wildest of the three. Can you describe what that means? Yeah, I would say it. part of it's being remote, um, um, which means you not as many road crossings, not as many opportunities to see other people. Uh, you know, some of the things that also make it uh, kind of a class of its own, in addition, I mean, it's higher up uh, than, than a lot of the other trails, uh, elevation-wise. Uh, the weather, you know, lightning and snowstorms and all that uh, is a a more epic proportion there's grizzly bears and you know it's 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 uh, in some ways it's just the wild west experience a lot of people are dreaming about going having when they're on a backpacking trip yeah you know i kind of threw that out there to contrast what we just said about you know a starter trail versus 
one of the big ones that's a little bit more challenging. How much do you think a person needs to learn skill set wise about navigation and and backpacking general knowledge and outdoor skills to do something like the Continental Divide Trail? Yeah, I would say, you know, every year people go out there uh, as their first hike and some of them end up just totally rocking it. Um, and, you know, some of it some of it has to do with having a basic backpacking, um, some skills, uh, have taken in some navigation classes, um, orienteering classes. Uh, you know, a lot of that can help. Um, but I would say that, that the more experience you can get and at the very least making sure that you're a certain level of physical fitness and you know how to use all your gear, as much as you can get a lot of those things dialed in before going out on not just the CDT, but any trip, it's, it's going to make it a little bit easier, that learning curve to go out there and make sure that every day you're feeling your best. Well, we need to dive into more details on how to do that. But first I have to ask the big question, why, why go to the trouble? Why go to the trouble of through hiking or, yeah. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, everyone has a different reason for through hiking, but for me, it's kind of a combination of, I love being in nature. I love walking. Um, I love seeing new things and exploring, um, and seeing the world, experiencing it, um, at this slower pace where I can kind of process things that are around me, uh, really get touch with, uh, with my body and the environment around me and how to feel confident about being someplace where I don't have a roof and I don't have an air conditioner and there's bugs and um, grizzly bears and all that. Um, it, it gives a lot of confidence, I think, um, and, and teaches sort of like problem solving skills, life skills. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's fun and adventure into in it. Uh, for me, there's so many, so many reasons. And, you know, a lot of times I, this is, this continues to be something that, that, uh, amazes me, even though, um, even though I've through hiked so much is when I went out of the PNT this year, I was feeling kind of weird about some things at work. And, uh, I was unhappy about, um, my landlord had just kicked me out and I was, feeling unhappy about that. Not of my own doing, by the way, I, I paid the rent. It was a great tenant, but you know, I was feeling kind of icky about a lot of things in my personal life. And, you know, just within a, a few days, all of this stuff that had been just this huge weight on my shoulders disappeared. And when I finished the hike, I, you know, I came back home and everything just kind of aligned in a way that wasn't stressing me out anymore. And, mm. uh, you know, it's funny because people always talk about the sort of healing power of hiking and, um, you know, it's still amazing to me how true that is. That's one of the best answers I've ever heard to why do it, you know, why do you get out there and hike? And it does, it presses the, the giant reset button, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because we often come back to similar problems that we went away from, mm -hmm. but by pressing that reset button, it's like, oh, well, we can manage that. I know what to do now. This will work out. You know, it, the perspective shifts. It's totally a change in perspective. I'm not really sure why it works, but it does. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes we just have to get off of the treadmill or, you know, the, the mouse wheel that everyone's chasing around in circles on so that we can look at it from the, the bigger picture to see what's going on. Yeah. Hey, I want to take a moment to share with you about Bizzle Bark Bath. 
Now, this is a new sponsor for the Adventure Sports Podcast, and they sent me a free Bizzle Bark Bath to try out. Full disclosure here. I also want you to know that I tell people who want me to demo one of their products that if I can give a positive, objective review, then I will. If I can't, I'm going to send it back and not put it on the Adventure Sports Podcast. And there's a reason for that. I don't want you to think that I'm giving some piece of gear a positive review just because I got free gear. So I'm trying to do this with the most integrity. So that's my commitment to you, the listener. When I do a review of a product, that means I've already approved it, I already like it, or you wouldn't be hearing about it in the first place. So here's my experience with Bissell Bark Bath. Bark Bath. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about giving a dog a bath, right? So lots of problems with giving a dog a bath. In the wintertime, you can't really do it outside. It's just too cold, right? And then you try to do it in the bathroom. It gets really, really messy. You know how hard it is to bathe a dog in a bathtub. And groomers are expensive. Bissell has solved all these problems with their bark bath. Let me describe it. It's it's a uh, unit that sprays a solution of rinse-free shampoo under the fur, not on the fur, but under the fur on the skin, and then it has a suction that pulls and lifts the muddy, icky solution out of your pet's fur. And this is a nozzle that is attached to a container that has water in it and detergent in it to take care of your dog. So the idea is it's about as simple as brushing your dog. All you have to do is run it through your dog's fur, and it it rinses all the crud out of the fur and sucks the, the nastiness away, and then the cleanup is super easy. You just pour out the nasty part. You're done. And so I tried this with my dog. Now, I have two dogs. I have a little Lhasa Apsa Shih Tzu mix, And that's the dog that I tried this on first. And the reason is because my other dog is a one-year-old Border Collie who is just hyper crazy. And he won't even let us brush him yet. So we're still training him to allow us to work with him with things like brushes and spray nozzles. But that just goes to say, that's the one thing you're going to want to know about this bathing system is you have to introduce it to your dog in a positive way. And the dog needs to get used to it. It's very comfortable for the dog once they know One thing that really helps is that the hose that goes from the the pump unit and the suction unit to where you're going to be working with your dog is really long. So you're able to have the dog a good distance from the noise. And I think that that really helps a lot. So I today gave my little dog a bath for the first time without having to take a bath myself. No joke. Did it in our kitchen. Made no mess. The dog was washed. The job was done. It is easier, definitely, quicker, and I was impressed. Now, how clean did the dog get? I think the dog got a lot cleaner than the dog was. And my son said, you know what I like about this, Dad, is it's so easy. We could do it more often without all the frustration. He said, I would rather do this more often than try to give the dog the big, messy bath less often because it's such a pain. The other thing that's nice about this unit is that it only uses 48 ounces of water to clean up a pet. I mean, you know how much a bathtub uses and how much water you can use trying to take care of your dog in the bathtub. So saves a lot of water, which is always a good thing. Very convenient, very clean, very easy to use. I would think of this more as a, you know, a frequent maintenance type cleanup for your dog. And if you do it that way, you may never have to give your dog another big messy bath ever. I don't know. I'm going to have to try this over time with my dog 
One thing I should point out is that the spray nozzles that put the solution on the skin under the fur, it's not super high pressure. It's You're not trying to car wash your dog, right? It's just getting the dog wet, and then the suction lifts that moisture back out of your dog's fur. So that's part of why it's not messy. It's part of why it's a pleasant experience for your dog. But keep in mind, it's not like you're hosing down the dog with a high-pressure nozzle. That's not what it's about. To learn more about the Bark Bath or to order your Bissell Bark Bath today, go to Bissell.com, that's B-I-S-S-E-L-L.com, forward slash Adventure Sports. Then use the coupon code Adventure Sports, and they will include two free bottles of the no-rinse shampoo with your order. So coupon code is Adventure Sports. Thanks a lot. Now back to the show. Well, through hiking is such an amazing thing, and we've been blessed on our show to have such great through hikers come on and talk about it. A lot of our audience must be backpackers and through hikers because they love this stuff. We get more downloads on backpacking shows than any other topic, Liz, and for good reason. It's something that everybody can do, and it's uh, such an amazing life experience. So, man, I, I love it, and I'm glad that we get to talk about it. Let's go back to your book now. All right. I'd like to spend some more time describing the value of this book so people know what it is. First, where can people get it? We should say that. Uh, I know it's available at some REIs and some independent bookstores along trails have it, but it's also, most people are getting it from Amazon. Okay. So REIs, Amazon, some smaller stores. So go to Amazon, look it up, order a copy now, and then uh, you'll be able to start your adventure through this book right away. Man. I'm looking at the the list of trails that are in the book here, and they come with pictures. And just if you wanted to figure out where you wanted to go, how many trails are in here? So I highlight uh, 20 in chapter, I think, three about different long distance trails are out there. And some of most of them are in the U.S. Some of them are trails from abroad. Um, and, you know, there's there's even more long distance trails out there than that. Uh, I didn't include a lot of them, but I, I just really kind of wanted to to whet people's appetites and to share this idea that, you know, there's long distance trails all across the U S they're not just in the Rockies or in the Sierra. Um, you know, they're, they're in Minnesota, they're in Arkansas. Uh, you know, there's so many great places to go out there. You know, it's fun. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm a little distracted. Sorry, everybody, but I'm looking <laughs> at these pictures and Liz, I'm seeing faces that I know now. I'm seeing people yeah. that have been on the Adventure Sports <laughs> podcast, people that I've met at some of the Continental Divide Trail events, also people that we met at Outdoor Retailer, and it's just fun. Let's talk a little bit. I want to get back to the book, but I want to talk about the community aspect of this. Yeah, so when I put together this book, the other books that were out there seemed like it was, you know, like one guy's perspective and, and it was this sort of like expert, extreme guy knows how things are. And I really wanted to show a book that shows the community because it's not just these expert extreme people out there. You know, one of the things I love what you said is is backpacking through hiking is something that everyone can do in the end is just walking. And so I wanted to show people of different ages, um, different lifestyles and backgrounds all in this book enjoying through hiking and loving it and having a great time outdoors. Mm, yeah, very cool. Well, tell you what, why don't you take us through the layout of the book so people know what to expect? The, it starts with uh, this idea. My, my introduction was how I first got into through hiking and how I discovered what the Pacific Crest Trail was. And 
kind of some of the confusion and questions I had when I started. And really, uh, the, the, that this book was meant to be what I wish I had had when I first realized that through hiking was a thing that, that people do. Um, and it's also to ask questions uh, to, to a, a prospective through hiker, you know, why do you want to do this? Um, to kind of mentally prepare them to, to jump into the book and to jump onto the trail. Uh, the next chapter is um, planning and preparation. So a lot of it has to do with the questions that, uh, you know, in some ways aren't the super sexy through hiking questions you want. They're not bears and lightning and raging river fords. It's how am I going to afford this? And how am I going to tell my family I'm leaving them for some months? And how am I going to quit my job? You know, th these things that are really, really important questions and uh, the sorts of things that also end up stopping people on their tracks even before they put on their, their hiking shoes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a big thing. It's hard to do. And one thing I'd like to mention is a lot of people commit to the idea of doing an extended trip. Maybe it's a through hike on one of these trails and they say, well, if I have to quit my job, I can get another job. Maybe it's worth it. And then they go into the boss and say, I'm going to do this. And the boss says, Oh, how about a leave of absence? You know, yeah. it, it works out when you start moving forward. So I just want to throw that out there. It's surprising how many people we've had on the show who say, yeah, well, I, I let all these things hold me back. And in the end, they didn't have to at all. It is so surprising. For um, putting together the book, I interviewed people from all walks of life, different ages. And uh, pretty much everyone said that, they, that, that their jobs said, okay. Sometimes they got a raise. Um, sometimes they said, go ahead, have a great time. We're not hiring you back. And then as soon as they got back from the trail, they said, um, can you come back in here? We haven't been able to find anyone as good as you. Right. There's a chapter two is prepping and physical fitness. That's a big deal for people that want to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite stories in this is throughout the book, I have this, this thing called hike your own hike, which is blurbs, um, by other hikers about their experience, which is maybe a little bit different than mine. And a good friend of mine worked as a computer programmer. Uh, he has a great story about, uh, how little physical activity he did before his hike. He was moving so little that he had one of those like wristwatches that, uh, recharged itself based on your movement. And it wasn't, recharging at all <laughs> it wasn't winding <laughs> that's um, saying something yeah so uh you know and he talks about how difficult it was for him to go out and through hike in that condition um but you know it's it's also doable and some of the tricks too because a lot of people start through hiking you know april or march and training in the winter can be hard so there's a couple of tricks of how you can train um even when you may not be able to get out and hike all the time so um, some weightlifting, some keeping your feet strong training, just trying to get people to think a little bit out of the box as, as far as what sort of what sort of training they can do, uh, you know, at a, during a lunch break at work. You know what, Liz? It's funny you're saying that. I'm at a stand-up desk right now, standing on a wobble disc, doing one-legged squats while I'm talking to you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> that, is, that is the type of thing. And it works. It, it really helps me to do better with hiking and mountain biking and everything because I spend too much time indoors like everybody else. So I try to spend time on the silly wobble disc. So there's a, a section here, let's see, chapter four on route planning. So on these trails, can you pretty much just follow the trail or do you have to be able to figure out your own way? Yeah, it really depends on the trail. And um, yeah, I would say it depends on the trail and 
you know, some of the things for the route planning is how do you figure out uh, trying to get people to think about questions with their route that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise thought. Like everyone thinks, oh, I have to go start in at the Mexican border when I hike the PCT or I have to start in Georgia. And no, you, you could you could start in Maine on the Appalachian Trail. You could southbound. Um, you don't have to hike the whole thing. You can decide that you want to start June 1st at halfway the halfway point. Uh, there's a lot of different things that that can play around that you can play around with. Um, so just trying to get people to think about uh, all the options that exist out there when they're putting together their route. Okay, very cool. And resupply. Now, how often do you recommend that people resupply, and what does that mean anyway? What is a resupply? Yeah, I would say so. Resupply um, is when you get more food and more supplies. Uh, more gear if you need gear, more fuel, more sunscreen, um, and you'd have to get it in town. So if you think of something like the Oregon Trail where, where people would resupply at forts and keep keep heading west, uh, it's kind of like that with a thru-hike too. So as far as how often to do it, um, it really depends on the trail. Uh, some of the more remote trails, it's not, uh, it's not uncommon to have to go as long as uh, – 135, 150 miles without having any stores or any real options in between. Um, but on something, on some trails, you get uh, get resupply, you know, every 30 miles. Um, and over a course of a long trail, you might have sections that are seven days in between, and you might have sections that are half days in between. So uh, you just kind of have to play it by the trail. You know, I kind of think about the resupply as you mean I have to leave this remote paradise that I came to hike through and dive back into civilization to get more stuff. But then at the same time, there's probably uh, a reward there, a chance to have a shower and take a breather. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, th there's a give and take. And I think a lot of through hikers, you know, the, the temptation of food calls, they go into town, they take a shower. And then they're like, I, I want to get back into the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like you want to be two places or two things at once? Yeah. And, you know, through hiking is an is a emotional roller coaster. It's the ups. The ups are super high and the lows are super low. And, and being in town, you dream about all the time when you're on trail. Uh, and then you get into town, you eat, and then you're like, man, I, I got to get out of here. I got to get back on trail. So That's funny. Uh, <laughs> full range of experiences. So the next chapter is on gear and a big subject. And uh, I'm sure that you spent a lot of time on that. Let's see. Yeah, it looks like this is almost 100 pages just on gear. Yeah, and, uh, you know, it's funny because I start the gear chapter with a big introduction about how gear isn't that important. But it's something that a lot of people worry about. And so uh, I put a lot of work into collecting different people's gear lists, um, people with different levels of experience, people with different goals when they're hiking. You know, I have someone who's very dead set on making lots of miles and has a lighter pack. And then someone who's a little more work hard, play hard, um, you know, carry the cast iron if you need to sort of, uh, so, and, and, you know, I have a, a guy mags who, uh, you know, really focuses on budget options that are out there because he doesn't think that people need to be spending $10,000 on gear, which is totally true. Yeah. Well, and it, people should know that the expense of it shouldn't be what keeps them from doing it. There are ways to do it affordably. For sure, for sure. Yeah, and, and also, how are you going to spend money when you're on the trail, right? <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I uh, back back at budgeting section and uh, in the life on the trail section, there's some tips on how can you save money on trail because, 
you know, when you're on trail, you can't spend money. But as soon as you get into town, man, that siren call of a hotel room and a shower and, you know, it's not uncommon for through hikers to want to eat like, you know, get to a restaurant and order three dinners for one meal. Right. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's easy to work your way through money uh, when you've been away from things like that for a, for a few days. Mm. So chapter eight is on safety, etiquette, and special concerns. Safety, that's an important subject. Etiquette. Now, people might say, what do you mean etiquette? You're out in the middle of the woods. What is etiquette? Yeah, so part of it, uh, etiquette, is making sure that that the hikers who come after you also have a positive experience, both in the trail and in the towns where there's resupplying. It's kind of like this sort of like trail karma that you want to make sure that you leave no trace when you're on the trail. So a lot of a lot of this is um, talking about major uh, long distance hiking questions of leave no trace. So of course there's bathroom management, but also questions about like should I use speakers or not? What should I do with my cell phone? But also that same sort of experience when you're in town. What how can you be respectful to? hostel owners or people who are trail angels who are supporting hikers uh, when they're in town. So kind of these things that people might not necessarily think a lot about before they go out there and experience it. There's also special concerns here. Give us an example of a special concern. So one of the special concerns that people think about a lot, um, especially women, is hitchhiking because sometimes um, a trail will cross a road and your place to resupply, the place where you're going to get food, is uh, you know, 10 or 30 miles away from where the trail crosses that road. Uh, so, so some of those things, some of the things in the special concern sections are, you know, how, how do I hitchhike safely? Or, um, you know, a, a lot of people who are getting into through hiking have always wanted to do it. Uh, they retire. They're a little bit older in life. And some of the tips that some of the people I've talked to who are, who are in that life stage have said about going out and, and uh, hiking that might not apply as much to some 20-year-old young buck who's, uh, you know, been on the cross-country team his whole life. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So chapter nine is troubleshooting, injury, disease, and first aid. Important stuff. Injury, people always think of injury when they think of being in the wilderness because they're so afraid that they're going to get trapped out there and not be able to get back out again. How legitimate is that concern? Yeah, I would say for a lot of these long-distance trails, that is not uh it, people get injured but it's often more times than not an overuse injury um mm. so people thinking they're a lot stronger than they are um and maybe their leg muscles are really strong but where where the body ends up uh pushing back is these kind of little tendons in your foot uh or little bones in your foot that aren't used to um taking that same sort of pounding that maybe your legs are super capable of doing so you can walk yourself out out of a lot of situations on an overuse injury. It's going to hurt, but you know it's not. There aren't too many sort of uh, you know Aaron Ralston like situations for through hikers. Right. Knock on wood. <laughs> right. Uh, you mentioned disease here. There is some concern about some bugs that you can pick up in the woods. Uh, what yep. are the big ones? Uh, you know, Giardia, Crypto. Um, so you know, waterborne illnesses. Uh, Norovirus has become an issue on the AT um, just because there's so many people out there and they're all hanging out in shelters. Lyme disease, uh, you know, the most dangerous animal a thru-hiker might ever encounter is a little tiny tick. Wild. So your book discusses prevention and uh, what to do if, right? Yeah, exactly. And then chapter 10, 
savoring the experiences. You know, you mentioned earlier that there were some people that wrote some excerpts in the book. We're talking about experiences. Would you read one of those for us? Oh, certainly. So this is uh, this is from the food section, the food and nutrition section. Okay. It's from my it's from my friend, friend Dean Crakel, um, and uh, he hiked the Colorado Trail. He he's a retired from being a photojournalist, 63-year-old guy. He says, when I decided to walk the Colorado Trail, I did a lot of research on food, and I spent the whole winter and spring making my own trail food. I had two dehydrators going full blast 24 hours a day, day after day. I made huge batches of energy bars. I bought bulk freeze-dried food and put it in individual Ziplocs. I also made pemmican, the food that I was going to rock the Colorado Trail with. Pemmican is a blend of 50-50 lean beef of buffalo, and fat that some say tastes like a beef-flavored candlestick. (laughs) It's very lightweight, incredibly calorie-dense, and I thought it would solve my calorie-to-weight conundrum. I made 24 pounds of it. I packed every resupply box with my pemmican. When I finally got into the field and on the trail, I only ate one pound of pemmican before I was totally sick of it. (laughs) I had to go to the towns to restock my food. As I walked on the trail, my needs and food changed dramatically. Going to town allowed me to buy the food I wanted and the food that I was craving. And it also allowed me to buy as much food as I knew I would need because by that time of the journey, I knew exactly my daily mileage. The moral of the story, food is about flavor. If it doesn't taste good, you won't eat it. And you got to eat. And if you need pemmican, I still have a freezer full. <laughs> that's great. And you know, that's been one of my challenges. I have tried every kind of, of uh, dehydrated, freeze-dried food out there. And I do have some favorites that are a lot better than the rest. But the bottom line is, I still want real food sometimes. Yeah, I I crave real food too. Uh, someone at Outdoor Retailer asked me, what's, what's your favorite trail food? And I said, not trail food. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if I can pack out some pizza slices or some eggs or a head of kale uh, or an avocado, you know, all of these things that that, uh, are a little crazy for a hiker to carry, it tastes super good when you're 10 miles, even 10 miles out of town, not that far. And it, it just feels like it's such a treat. Oh, yeah. Always take the stuff that may not keep very long and eat it the first couple of days, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that just about every family has a story about this, whether it was at a state fair or at an amusement park or at a mall or hiking through the woods or maybe skiing on that big mountain. You get split up and you have to know where is everybody. Now, that might be your buddies you're just trying to find or it might be your child who's lost. There's a new product that solves this problem and it's perfect for adventure sports. The answer is Gotana, like Antana, but Gotana. This is a device about the size of a cell phone that can clip onto your purse or your bike or your backpack or a belt, and it creates a mesh network with other devices. It also pairs with your cell phone so that you have a display to work with, and it allows you then to see at a glance on your cell phone where your buddies are or where your children are, and even text back and forth messages. And it works when you're out of coverage because it is creating its own mesh network with all the other devices. That makes this ideal for adventure sports out backpacking in the woods or mountain biking when you get split up on the trail. You know how it goes. It allows you to reconnect with your people. To get your Gotana, go to gotana.com. That's G-O-T-E-N-N-A. 
and make sure that you use the promo code ADVENTURE35 to get $35 off on your purchase of Gotana. I wish this product would have been around when I was teaching my kids to ski. Again, use promo code ADVENTURE35 at Gotana.com. It's official. Winter has arrived, and Bentgate Mountaineering is prepared to help you get ready for your epic winter. Come check out the latest in Alpine Touring, Telemark, NTN, and Splitboarding gear. They have brands like Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Technica Blizzard, Arcteryx, Mammut, Solomon, Volley, Neversummer, Jones, and BCA. And you do need to be safe out there. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear. They have beacons, airbags, shovels, and probes, and they're ready to help you educate yourself on snow safety. They also rent out gear so you can get your skis and your boots there as well as your avalanche safety equipment. What's more, they also have free demo ski days at local resorts so you can try out the latest gear. Now, how much fun does that sound? So swing by Bentgate in Golden, Colorado, or go to bentgate.com to find your new gear as well as to get updates on all of their events. You know, my favorite, Liz, and I'll let you tell me one, one of your tricks, but my favorite thing is I get either peanut butter or almond butter, I mix regular table butter in with it, and I add just enough sweetener to kind of give it a nicer flavor, and then I add water until it becomes easy enough to swallow that it doesn't gum up my throat, right? And I put it in a squeeze tube, and I've hiked six, eight hours on that. Wow. It's just, it is the energy that you need, and uh, and I it works for me. It tastes fine. Now, would I want to do it for 12 days in a row? Probably not, but do you have a... A hack, a food hack, something that you like that works when you hike? Oh, man. Um, you know, the thing about nutrition, just like in Dean's story, is that, that taste change so much. Um, you know, things that I really, really loved a few years ago, I cannot eat anymore. Um, but my big kick right now, and something I haven't gotten tired of, um, which isn't super calorie dense, I'm, I know for sure, is I really love... Um, dehydrated, freeze-dried uh, miso soup packets. And part of the reason is because there's a ton of salt in it. Um, but uh, for me, my, my mom's from Japan, and so I was raised on miso soup. And so it's kind of like a soul food to me when I'm on trail. Uh, so when I ha- mix up some with my water bottle, it, it's like, you know, all these memories flash back. I'm getting a bunch of salts and electrolytes that are probably uh, need to be replenished. And for me, it, it's a surprisingly good energy kick. Now, I've heard some people will take dehydrated food and put water in it, throw it in their pack, and then hike down the trail for a couple of hours, and that that rehydrates it so they don't have to cook it. Have you ever tried that trick? Yeah, so I, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail uh, and the Appalachian Trail and about half the Continental Divide Trail stoveless, um, like, like that. After that trip, I decided, you know what, I think I want to start carrying a stove again. So I've gone back and forth. Some trips I've gone stoveless, some I haven't. But uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a really quick way of going about um, and eating, especially you know in drought years. Sometimes there's fire bans, so uh, you know it makes it all the easier to eat something delicious without having to worry about carrying that stove. Yeah, I guess I bring it up just because there's such a variety of ways of doing it, and people really should yep. try different things, figure out what they like, what works for them, and it's an ongoing thing. You're gonna you're gonna spend a lifetime polishing your diet on the trail. At least that's what I think. I'm, I'm still working on it. I, I'm still working on it too. And, you know, uh, with American Long Distance Hiking Association, uh, we've been having nutrition talks and 
every year we have people talk about food and um, everyone from the first time backpacking to the person who has hiked, you know, 20,000 miles, everyone says, oh, I didn't think of that. You, you always learn something new. Everyone's always trying to find uh, great food ideas. So uh, I, I, I think that there's a, there's a world of uh, experimentation for lots of hikers out there. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. The one thing that doesn't work for me but might work for other people are a lot of the uh, like energy bars or things like that. They work for people for quick energy, but it doesn't seem to last long enough for the endurance hike for me. Yeah, I can see that. I hiked quite a bit with energy bars for the longest time, and I, I'm just at the point where I, I can't quite stomach them anymore. Uh, you know, nothing, nothing against them, but I've just seen so many of these packages of rectangular food that, that you know, I want my body wants something else. <laughs> this, this may sound funny, but it's almost like you start looking at that squirrel kind of funny in the tree after having delivered those energy bars. <laughs> yep. Come down here, little buddy. No, I, I'm sorry. That's horrible. But that's kind of the way I start feeling is that, well, I'm out of balance. I don't have everything my body's looking for. And yep. uh, so anyway, different strokes for different folks, right? I do exactly. carry energy bars when I go backpacking, but it's not going to be my, my mainstay. So Yeah. Well, Chapter 10 I already mentioned was making friends and savoring experiences. Any highlights from that that you'd like to mention? One of the things I also like about this book is... It's really easy to think that when you go on a long distance trail, you're going to be out by yourself for five months and only see bears and marmots. And the truth is there are other hikers out there. So some of the questions that I talk about are things that I never had thought of before I went out and did a bunch of these through hikes. And that's, you know, choosing partners. When is it right to hike with someone? When should I hike on or stay behind and not hike with someone? Um, you know, the ideas of, of blogging on trail, uh, you know, is it a good idea? How often should I do it? Uh, staying in touch with loved ones, you know, it, it's, it can be hard. Uh, people miss home and people, um, you know, missing home and some of these social factors end up being a, a contributor to why people end up getting off trail or, or quitting. Um, so, you know, keeping all of these things in mind when going out on a hike and, and realizing that there's more to planning for a hike and there's more to making it on a through hike than just having the right gear or uh, or ha having the right food. Those are the easy parts. Right. You know, I love it, Liz, that through hiking has received so much info or, uh, exposure, I should say, from the media in the last few years. You know, there have been movies about through hiking and more and more people mm -hmm. are talking about it on shows like ours. I love it that it's become a thing that people think about and do more of and dream of. Do you think we're going to overdo it? Are there too many people out there? You know, I think that's something for the the land managers to decide uh, how how many how many people can can a trail hold um, before things start getting gross and and the experiences become detrimental. Um, for me, I, I think that. You know, there's so many great places to hike that, that there's so many great places to explore that uh, for me, if I feel like certain areas are getting overused, I, I, I have this whole world of ideas, um, some of which are in this book of other places to go. Um, and I would really encourage if people feel like maybe it's, it's the through hiking is starting to get to be too much of a thing to, to go check out some of these other places. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. You know, I lived close to Rocky Mountain National Park for over 20 uh -huh. years. And I rarely ever went. 
And it's not because it's not wonderful. It is wonderful. But Colorado has a plethora of places that are just untouched and underused. And you can hike to these places. And you can spend a lifetime and never see it all. So it's like, why would I pay money to go somewhere and stand with a crowd when I can go somewhere else and have it all to myself and, and enjoy it for free? And it's kind of uh, become a, a thing for me to let people know all of these beautiful, wonderful resources that our nation has, the three big long trails that we've been talking about, the, the national parks, the, all these things are wonderful. Take advantage of them. But don't forget, if you want to get away from the crowds, it, it's available. It's not that hard to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we've kind of gone through the, the highlights of how the book is laid out. Do you have another passage you'd like to read for us? Sure. Um, so this is uh, a hike your own hike uh, in praise of zeros by my friend uh, Bill Murphy Pie is his trail name, and he's he's the same guy who's a computer programmer uh, who um, had had so little exercise before his first hike on the AT that his his watch wouldn't wind up. Uh, so this is called the praise of zeros. Many hikers name their days by how many miles they've hiked. Phew, a 20. Who were you with when you did your first 30? Some even say more extreme numbers, 35, 40, even 50 plus. These numbers seem competitive. They seem progressive, but sometimes the best progress is a zero. Everyone needs time off. There's a temptation to characterize a long hike as a lot of time off from your job. However, a long hike is, well, long and hiking. And neither one of those is easy. A zero isn't all about making it easy. It's about having a sustainable approach to hiking. Many will say that recovery time is as important, if not more important, than training time. Ask yourself, would you rather get a few more miles now with a chance of injury or start the next week rested and recovered, ready to go the whole hike? Some folks cherish their zeros. On one hike, I accumulated over 30 zeros. Some folks like Nero's instead, where they hike a few miles away from the expenses of a hotel and other town temptations, but still take a rest day. That's not to say I always forgo hiking for days in town. I've also gone two plus weeks without a zero, but it left me thinking about quitting. In my experience, taking less than one zero day per week leads to injury and frustration, neither of which is good for the goal of completing a long hike. If you haven't hiked before, I suggest planning on a full zero every week, or maybe even one after every five days of hiking. Try to use that zero for resting only, not for walking back and forth across town, doing laundry, getting groceries, etc. To me, zero days are the key to a sustainable hike. Plan them in, both for time and for budget. You'll need a break from the so-called vacation of a long hike. Oh, that's, that's really good advice. You know, when I do hikes, I plan to have zero days, and I probably have more than most people because I'm going to a location to enjoy it. I just don't want yeah. to pass through, you know, so I like to spend the time. I like to spend the time in a spot to kind of get to know it for a day. So in my book, it's about that. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that that's what some of my fondest memories from these long hikes have been. Mm. Getting to know a place a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. So, Liz, will you close this out with uh, some sort of a story that was impactful, some experience that you had that was kind of like, wow, you know, that really gave you a, a change in perspective about through hiking? Hmm, change in perspective about through hiking. So um, when I first hiked the AT, I still had a lot of unknowns. I hadn't really gotten my rhythm down yet. Um, that was in 2008. And 
you know, I, I was still figuring things out. I was figuring out my gear. I was figuring out what it meant to hike every day, all day. I was figuring out what it meant to hike in the rain because I hadn't done a lot of that uh, before Before then. Um, I'd been kind of a fair weather hiker. On the Appalachian Trail, you kind of can't do that so much. So the second time I hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2011, I had, between then, I, I had hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide Trail. And the Continental Divide Trail... Um, you know, I had gone over above tree line, uh, these exposed ridges during lightning storms because there, there was no other way to get out of there. Um, I had gotten lost. Uh, I had done things that I felt really uncomfortable about. And when I went out to hike the AT the second time, I'd set this goal of, you know, not crying, not feeling so stressed out, really holding back on, on, um, not pushing myself over to the point of, of getting very stressed on the hike. And I found that by doing that uh, on my second AT hike, not only did I have the advantage of going through these places that I'd been before um, and really feeling like I could enjoy them a little bit more because I had the skill set now, uh, but it was also a lot more sustainable. And so that, that was the hike that I set the, the speed record on. But part of the reason I think I was able to set it is because I never pushed myself over uh, what I could recover, uh, both physically and emotionally. I, I, I was really good about pacing myself. Mm, so you kept that balance. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really important, especially for people when they're doing their first trip. They, they know it's going to be hard. They expect it to be hard, and they put on a heavy pack, and they take off, and then it gets really, really hard, and they don't know when to stop. Right, exactly. And, you know, uh, there, there's a little bit peer pressure on the trail, too, which uh, pushes people past their comfort levels, past their physical um, – um, I wouldn't say past their physical ability because they can certainly do it, but it kind of goes back to, the, to that um, idea of recovery and rest. And I, I think that, you know, I, my friend Swami, The Hiking Life – had had some great story about never giving a hundred percent every day on a through hike, you know, trying to keep it around 80% or something. Um, and you know, I like to hold it back a little bit more just, just so that emotionally, physically, I have to get up and do it the same day, the next day, and then do it the next day and the next day for months and months and months. So making sure that I keep things in a kind of uh, repeatable level is, is one of the best pieces of advice I've heard about through hiking. Mm, yeah. I love that. Yep. Keeping the balance really helps to enjoy the whole experience too. And isn't that what it's about? We're doing this to enjoy it. So why not take a little time? Exactly. And you know, on a day hike, I could go give 110% and then sit in front of my desk and not, you know, crawl over to the refrigerator and crawl to bed <laughs> or whatever. But on a through hike, I don't get that luxury. There you go. Well, good words. So once again, the name of the book is Long Trails, Mastering the Art of the Through Hike by Liz Thomas. And Liz, thanks for putting all of your years of hiking experience into paper so that other people can learn from, you know, what you've picked up over the over the years and to open up the sport to more people that can benefit so much from it. Well, thank you so much for having me on, Kurt, and uh, for looking through the book. You know, I've, I've done 20 of these long hikes and every single hike I messed up on something. So it was good to put it all on paper and be like, hey, this is what I learned from messing up. So you don't have to. There you go. That's awesome. Well, thank you listeners for taking the time to listen in today as we talk again about through hiking. It is so much fun. And I hope that each of you gets the opportunity at least once in life to do a, a sizable through hike and then get to experience what Liz has been writing and telling us about all this time. So until the next show, think about a through hike and get out there. 
Have some fun. On the next episode, we'll have Daniel Leroy on. He'll be on to talk about snowboarding and green snowboard manufacturing. We'll also talk a little bit about mountain living and ski bumming. Until then, do us a favor and visit us over on Patreon. And do make sure you get out there and have some fun.